Hello and welcome to the Paranormal Tourists. And it's a slightly weird one because I've got to start with an apology because we've been away for about about 10 days because uh, illness. We're all dying of lurgy. Don't panic. We have not got COVID. I completely lost my voice. In fact, I'm going to try and find a clip of me earlier in this week. And I could not actually have done a show because I couldn't speak for more than about two minutes without just completely losing my voice again. So, this is what I sounded like earlier in the week. Old man river, that old man river, he don't say nothing. A bit like my voice. That old man river, he just keeps rolling along. Right. I think today might consist of uh, vocal warm-up singing Johnny Cash and maybe Neil Diamond. And this is what I sound like now. Now, we've had a few emails from people saying, why don't we do anywhere in London? And we've done a few shows based in London, but not many. And if you've been reading our books that go along with the series, you'll know that we've kind of avoided London. Well, there's a reason for that. And that's because I actually write some books called The Paranormal Tourist Guide to London. And I'm currently writing book two, which is uh, all about London. So book one is available out there now. You can get it on uh, Amazon, uh, but it's it's actually about 10 years old. So what I did it was go through the book and find some of the places that are actually capable of being visited right now. I thought I'd read some of them out, but you can get this book for free as a Patreon supporter, because if you become one of our Patreon supporters, then every month we're going to send you one of our books. That's a PDF version of one of our books at some levels of whichever level you're supporting at. There are some levels where you actually get hard copies as well. Uh, But this is one of the books. I think this might even be the first book you get if you sign up with us. So if you want the rest of the book for free, then join our Patreon and support us there. But also on our Patreon, there are certain levels where you can get free tickets to join us for a night at a haunted castle as well. And you get first dibs on anything like that as well that's going. So you'll always know before everybody else does. So this is uh, from the Paranormal Tourist Guide to London, and I'm just going to go through the book, and I have checked that at the moment, these places are accessible, Uh, but do go on their websites to make sure, because uh, obviously, with the way Britain is at the moment, we are one of the worst countries in the world when it comes to COVID uh, response, and things are opening one day, then close the next, then open the next, and you might have a ticket for something, and then you you get there and find out the place is closed, and it said it on their website in the last hour or so. So make sure you get onto their websites and check. And obviously, if you do have this book, this was written uh, 10 years ago, and so all the things like the prices and websites and things like that are out of date, so do always check before you head off anywhere. Now, in chapter one, we talked about the the South Bank, and the South Bank of London is one of my favourite places, partly because it's got one of the best theatres I've ever performed in uh, on the South Bank, but it also has some fantastic, fantastic venues. Sadly, the London Dungeons has now moved from one end of the South Bank to the other, and is now in a building that isn't haunted, whereas previously it was, so anything that I wrote about that building is not accessible anymore. But if you go along the South Bank, you can start at one end, And you can start at Lambeth Palace, which is accessible at the moment, 
The palace itself is not open to the general public, though tours can be arranged uh, if you write to them. So do get on their website and find out. It's a fantastic, fantastic building that's easily accessible to paranormal tourists. The only problem being that it's not too easy to get access to inside the palace. Yeah, it's not a problem, as you'll see later, because part of the paranormal phenomena related to the building is actually on the Thames next to the palace. Now, the palace has been the home of the Archbishop of Canterbury since 1200 AD, and before anyone as pedantic as me starts laughing, I mean the position of Archbishop of Canterbury, not the present Archbishop of Canterbury, who would be, by anyone's standards, rather old by this reckoning. Now, speaking of old, it is thought the word Loamheith is the original name of Lambeth, and actually means Muddy Bank. So this is the Muddy Bank Palace. You can often get access to the gardens easier than the palace itself, and at the moment, uh, checking on their website, they are accessible. They contain a herb garden and also a rose terrace, and they are also amongst some of the oldest and largest gardens in London. Tours of the Lambeth Palace itself are available, but the booking list usually fills up for the year very early on, so make sure you apply well enough in advance before just turning up. You won't be able to get in if you just turn up on the door. There are, however, exhibitions that feature regularly in the Great Hall of Lambeth Palace Library throughout the year, so you can at least get into that part of the building, and you'll hopefully also get to see some of the treasures within the palace, including Mary Queen of Scots' execution warrant, uh, the Lambeth Bible, a book used and owned by Henry VIII, Elizabeth I and King Charles I, amongst others. So, Lambeth Palace, the British historian and, well, the rather discredited historian David Starkey says of Lambeth Palace that it is the only place in London where, right from the road, you are confronted by Tudor London. I think I take some form of perverse pleasure, including many an intellectual in my books, as I am sure they would hate the fact that they are being used in a book about something so unscientific and full of black magic mumbo-jumbo as the paranormal. I look forward to the time that I can quote Stephen Hawking about the likelihood of poltergeists. Uh, unlikely to happen now. Uh, until that time arrives, however, let me tell you about one of the many sightings of a famous ghost. Yes, of course, Anne Boleyn. She gets everywhere. Her ghost has probably travelled more than she did in life. <laughs> Anne Boleyn is supposedly not only seen, but also heard in and around Lambeth Palace. It's said that she has been seen uh, carried on a Thames barge from here to the Tower of London where her journey and her life terminated. Apparently, it's been reported that the palace is also haunted by the sound of Anne Boleyn pleading for her life to be spared. If you leave Lambeth Palace, you're not too far away from the Imperial War Museum, and as we said before, do check the website, but it is accessible at the moment. And I do like a good ghost story to start with the phrase, years ago when this place was an insane asylum, and luckily for us, this one can start in such a way. This was the site of the second Bethlehem Hospital for the Insane, and I'm sure we've talked about this before, but Bethlehem Hospital is where we get the name Bedlam from, so it's Bethlehem, a place of insanity and madness, and so therefore Bedlam came out of that. Uh, it was also used by the Women's Auxiliary Air Force during the fighting in World War II. As far as I can ascertain, it was the staff that were there during World War II that started the reports of hearing screaming and ranting late at night. They also report the perfect ghostly behaviour, that of clanking and rattling chains. Security guards also reported hearing the sounds of shouting and screaming. So get along there, because those uh, ghost sounds have been heard in the daytime as well as the night. Now these venues I find fantastic, partly because the ghosts are interesting, but also because the venue itself is interesting. Uh, one thing you need to know about a lot of venues is they can be free and sometimes they're not, and also 
in london the museums are often free but there'll be areas you've got to pay to get access to so do check before you go whether it's a free one or not um, they often have traveling exhibitions or one-off forms of displays and you have to pay on those days to get in hopefully it won't happen if, if you're in some of these fantastic places in london london is an amazing city with full full of free ghost places to visit and that's the thing that we try and get people to do is to go to all these free places now if you carry on along the south bank you're going to get to westminster bridge now keep going keep going there's a lovely walk all the way along the river and you'll end up at the clink museum now the clink museum is where all prisons get the name clink from now this was the original clink and you'll end up in the clink if you actually commit a crime now the building that is the museum is not the original prison don't get too excited there's some ruins around there that you can actually see that contain bits of the prison and so on but this is a purpose-built museum it's uh, got a history stretching back to 1144 with links to the gunpowder plot the babington plot and many major historical events to believe that nothing has been left behind here from all the suffering pain neglect of the thousands of inmates is what would be ridiculous if you believe that in the stone tape theory then the entire area around here is just full of death and destruction and many visitors to the museum have claimed to have heard and seen a variety of strange happenings from people walking through walls dogs running through the museum that weren't there and many more odd and unexplainable things I've had at least about 40 or 50 different reports of a lady sitting uh, playing with chains in one corner of the museum. And that sounds very strange, but the chain lady is seen quite often. And there have been investigations on the site, and the investigators there claim it's a very active place full of lots of things happening. And there have been very strange things happening during those uh, actual paranormal nights where there are things from glasses smashing, lights turning on and off, doors opening and closing. And I, I spoke to one of the staff there after this first book had come out to say, oh, has anything happened since the book came out? And they went, well, actually, yes. And they took me sort of backstage, as it were, and showed me the security cameras. And there were some excellent poltergeist uh, experiences that had happened to the staff with things moving around. And the one guy said his deodorant can basically levitated and <laughs> flew across the room. So it's got some actually fascinating poltergeist as well as full apparitions happening in that area. Now, if you're around that area, you're not too far from the London Bridge tombs. Now, looking at their website, they are not open at the moment, but they have plans to be open very, very soon. So it's um, London Bridge tombs is great, but also can be disappointing at the same time. It's, it was designed as an attraction for the general public as a walkthrough ghost train experience. And the problem with this concept is that they can be terrifying or just extremely laughable, depending on what mood you're in and who you're with. But uh, there are a lot of things that have been happening there, and they dug up a whole bunch of corpses um, when they were rebuilding the place. So ever since then, the place is supposedly haunted. And there's a few sort of interesting stories, but nothing fantastic that I could really nail down. So... Why would you come here? Is it haunted or not? Well, it's a highly entertaining and informative venue, and if you've visited all the others in London, then this is a great way, great one to go to. We are told that it's haunted, and on the website to the venue, it tells of a figure that's often been mistaken for a lazy actor, because there's lots of live actors down there who will walk around and tell you stories and so on, and he just stands and looks at you. 
The figure has been described as female, and often, when it's reported, the venue claims that there has been no female members of staff working in that vicinity. The staff have christened her Emily, and she seems to frequent an area that was used as a plague pit. Obviously, if you do capture anything on camera or you experience anything you consider paranormal, please tell the staff as they'll be able to inform you if anyone was in that area. But also, send it to us. Find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, and on Patreon, obviously. Now, in my job as a paranormal writer, I get sent links all the time, especially to footage and clips from people's video cameras. And I've seen lots of footage from ghost hunts organised in venues such as these. Most of the time, all I get to see are videos of the odd click or bang noise in a dark room full of people who don't know each other and could be in various stages of drunkenness or under the influence of drugs or various religious beliefs and weird ways of thinking and basically people who could just be faking stuff. So most of the footage I get is worthless from a paranormal investigator's point of view. Having said all that, I have seen many clips of people who genuinely feel they've experienced paranormal activity. And these are recordings of wailing, whistling, groaning, people who claim to have seen figures uh, seen only from the waist up walking through walls. Um, Now, with all the underground venues in London and other venues in the dark, is there's a sense that your senses are going to be somehow heightened. You're you're on a kind of like an hyper alert as though you're about to be attacked at any time. It's your fight or flight response. So you'll feel on edge, you'll start to interpret noises as something otherworldly, when in reality it's something probably perfectly explainable. When underground, the sound of cars or trains travelling nearby will vibrate through the ground and move things as well. Now, if you're in a tunnel, the shape of that tunnel can also make sound waves act in unusual waves. It can amplify, change the pitch, intensify, and even make noises appear from somewhere completely different to where the noise is emanating from. So be careful when you are getting spooked out to always try and work out all the possibilities of what it could be before you jump onto the paranormal bandwagon. Now, we've often said being a member of English Heritage or National Trust has its advantages as you can get into places for free. So I would genuinely, generally say, check those out as things are going to start opening up. And one of the things that is opening up is Sutton House in Hackney. Now, it is opening up and it's, I think you can only get in there on Wednesdays, Fridays and Saturdays and you must book before you go. And obviously, with COVID about to go rampant again as we start heading into that third wave, it may close down again. So always check, and as I said, make sure you've booked a ticket before you go anywhere. Now, I've not been able to investigate this building myself, but I've seen a great deal of notes and history, pieces of evidence, tales about the venue. I can't wait to get back to that venue and have a go at it. Um, do a bit of ghost hunting myself. Now, I'm a sucker for history. I cannot get through, uh, get enough of old buildings, and this one dates back to 1535 by one of Henry VIII's councillors, Sir Ralph Sadler, and was then altered again in the 17th century when it became two separate properties. Thankfully, we can get into the property as it's no longer private residence, but we are not alone here because there's ghosties. We have several spectres wandering around the building, which is no surprise, as it's been a private house, a boarding school for young gentlemen, and an academy for girls. We have possibly two different ladies walking around the house, as there are reports of women in white and also a woman in blue. Or maybe a ghost that likes to change its wardrobe every so often. I've sent some, well, I I was sent some footage from an investigator of someone calling out for someone or something to interact with them, and one of them says, if there's anyone there, could the spirit touch or move something? And within seconds, the other investigator lets out a little scream as something grabs him by the shoulders. As I also do like to try and explain the paranormal wherever I can, uh, to offer a rational explanation, there is a thing that happens to the human body where muscles can twitch or spasm, especially in stressful situations. 
If you've primed the subconscious with images of ghosts and you believe that a ghost can grab you, then perhaps your brain is putting two and two together and making five. That does not mean that the man was not grabbed by the ghost, but as a paranormal scientist we must always look at both sides. As it was once pointed out to me by someone who was rather annoyed at a dismissive sceptic. My colleague said, There are not two sides to every paranormal argument, there are three. And you should always try and follow the third. The first side of the argument is the believer who will believe that every little thing in the world happens to be paranormal and caused by dead people coming back to life again or interaction with angels or some other form of paranormal, supernatural magic. The second side of an argument is the totally sceptical person that says if it does not fit within the logical laws of science as he understands them, then it cannot possibly be true. Now, the third side is the best to take. Neither believing the believers or believing the sceptical. It is possible that paranormal things happen, but we do not have the understanding of the science as yet to fully explain them. And to dismiss everything is just as bad, if not worse, than to believe everything. So we have wandering ladies and possibly grabby ghosts. But what I really like in this venue is the report of phantoms that are on four legs, that of several dogs walking around barking and whining. I've spent many nights in haunted buildings, as you know, and it, well, St. Breville's Castle, we're going to go there with a ghost hunt, come and join us. And it's got a large ghost dog, and it's been seen many times. And often this ghost is completely ignored as people think it's a real dog. It's normally the staff that report these types of hauntings as they know there's no real dogs in the house at the time. Perhaps it's these dogs that other dogs see when they come into the building. The stories are that real dogs have come in and then suddenly stop as though staring at something and they won't go any further. The ghost supposedly belonged to a, a clothing industry tycoon by the name of John and he reportedly loved the dogs as though they were his own children. It said he preferred the company of his dogs than that of other people and it looks like he's continued this after his death as well. Mediums have said that they believe that he is responsible for some of the poltergeist activity that's taken place in the building, and there are windows and doors that open and shut of their own accord, and objects have also been moved around and thrown across rooms in classic poltergeist style. Another well-known phenomena that occurs around paranormal activity and poltergeist happenings is the sudden drop and rise of temperature when there's no open windows or obvious winds blowing around or throughout the building. In one of the rooms, which is now an exhibition room, there used to be a bed, and people who stayed there and lived there were woken up by the bed shaking, apparently by a woman in blue. She no longer can shake the bed, as it's not there, but this has not stopped her visiting as she's seen walking around the room. In the photos I've been sent from this room, there is a painting on the wall with large staring eyes. This can make people feel uncomfortable, and feel like there's someone in the room with them, creating a sense of fear and paranoia. I do not believe, however, that this could create the image of a blue lady, and the stories go back far enough and consistently enough to make me think small inf influences like these are not the real cause. I mention this partly to show the avid Ghostbusters amongst us that you must always look for the logical or subliminal reasons behind a haunting before jumping to conclusions. The previous stories talk about the sightings of ghost dogs, and often the sound of dogs throughout the building is heard, so we must look at the obvious and say, well, the coat of arms has three dogs in it. Is that the reason the dogs are in my mind? Is the noise definitely in the building? Often ghost stories tell us that the noise was faint. Well, if that's the case, perhaps there's a dog barking half a mile down the road and the wind is in the right direction. To put your mind at rest, however, the ghost dogs I've been told about sound like they're actually in the room with you. Let us head into a rather strange part of the building, the chapel. Unusually, this is under the building. Most chapels take pride of place in any house, and so they tend to be above ground with stained glass windows, allowing colour and light into the building. The chapel in a basement is a rarity, and normally was in a house where the religion had to be kept secret. 
I'm not a religious man at all, and I find it hard to understand how people were willing to die for their religions and needed to find a secret place for worship. But we must remember our mindset has changed drastically in the last 50 years, let alone the last 100 years. The haunting in the chapel, however, is not necessarily a haunting associated with death. This may be a prime example of a stone tape theory, so which I've explained on many, many episodes of our show. Basically, something happened, it gets recorded in the environment. But I'm going to summarise again. That, that building can remember things and replay them as though the event's captured in its walls. In this room, mediums claim there's been a fight, and this relays so that people can hear arguing and that this energy may be responsible for some of the poltergeist activity. The activity I have read reports and evidence from are so numerous I could not include them all, yet this building delivers on all paranormal levels. We've got poltergeists, we've got audio phenomena, we have light anomalies, we have animal ghosts, we have physical interaction with people being grabbed and pushed. And remember, these events have happened in the daytime, every bit as much as if the building's not open to the public, so this is well worth visiting by any investigator at any time of day. If you can get into the place, always check before you head off that that place is going to be open. Well, that's it from this week. Now, we're going to be doing a couple of these uh, episodes where we're talking about places in London because we've had several people who listen to our show in London saying everywhere you talk about is miles away from us. So we are going to concentrate on a few of these London ones and I'll even read some stuff out from the next London book, which will be out this year. Paranormal Tourist Guide to London, book two which will also have some follow-ups on stories from book one. And you can get book one for free by being a Patreon supporter. So come and find us on Patreon, find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, send us your ghost stories from wherever you are in the British Isles. And until then, I'm going to have to disappear and find a ukulele and join in with this music that's just started playing. So keep safe, keep sane, and keep spook spotting. Bye! Bye!